Um, like I said, we'll see how far the Lord takes us. Um, other things that are coming up that are um, in your bulletin, take a look at them. And, um, and one of the things that um, parents that uh, up in the youth room on the 6th, uh, which is uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend, the 6th of March, um, the middle schoolers are going to be meeting, and then on Saturday the 7th, the middle uh, high schoolers will be meeting. So just kind of get that on your calendar. We'll remind you again on Sunday, but uh, a lot of you come out on Wednesday night, so they're planning that. And then Young Adults uh, Ski Trip is going to be March 9th, and so if you have any questions, Dustin, raise your hand. Dustin, come here. Dustin's back, so he left us for a little while, but he missed me so much he came back, so, <laughs> but it's good to have him back. He's going to actually be joining the staff here at Calvary Chapel. He's going to be interning, and uh, so he's going to be doing a lot of different things. He's going to help with worship. He's going to be helping with children. He's going to be helping in the coffee shop. He's going to be mowing the lawn this summer. He's going to be doing all kinds of things, all right? So if you need anything, here, here's the guy to go to, all right? He has a servant's heart, but it's good to have you back. And um, he's going to be um, helping get some events for the young adults to go. So Monday, uh, the 9th of March, we'll have the details um, in the bulletin. And meanwhile, you can ask them. And while you're here, why don't we pray for you, all right? And thank God that you're back back with your family, your, your church family, all right? So, Father, uh, we thank you that Dustin was able to go home to Wisconsin and be with his family there um, and, um, and be able to be there for the season that you had him there. But, Lord, we're thankful that you've brought him back to our church family. We love him. We thank you that um, he has that servant's heart and that he got back safely. And we look forward to what you're going to do in his life and through his ministry. And, Lord, tonight I just pray that as we study your word that, um, Lord, that your uh, word would just touch our hearts here and comfort us and bring encouragement to us, Lord, uh, as we just read these psalms that David wrote, inspired by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amen. Dustin. All right. Chapter 4 of the book of Psalms, uh, we read in the title, To the Chief Musician. Now, uh, this is the first mention of the chief musician. It's a title given in 53 of the Psalms, and all it is is a reference to the worship leader. And not only were the, the chief musician the, the worship leader, and remember that in First Chronicles, when David was getting the priests and the Levites and the civil leaders, that's the military leaders and the other uh, leaders, all organized. So when Solomon, his son, came and began to build the temple, all that would be in place. So David, uh, one of the things that he put in place with the Levites, the musicians, because worship was going to be a very, very important part of the temple. And, and I would have loved to have been there at the first temple period when, uh, you know, there was Asaph. Asaph penned a number of these psalms, and, and, and his brother Heman, who wrote, I believe, two psalms that we will read, and then the other worship leaders. And there was worship continually at the temple there in Jerusalem. It, it must have been wonderful and incredible to hear that temple worship that took place. So here's the chief musician, uh, a title again, that is given, and we know that um, he was also, it is believed, the custodian of the sacred psalms at the temple. And with string instruments, so speaking of the harp and the lyre, and, and I think that, once again, as we go through the psalms of David here tonight, particularly in these early psalms, we see that David was one that um, he is in distress at this time. David, he was an incredible man, uh, the greatest king that, that Israel ever had, an incredible uh, and very capable administrator, a great warrior, uh, had many victories, but David also went through a lot of difficulties and distress and enemies that came against him and difficult times that you read about when you go through First and Second Samuel. And so in these Psalms here, we see him expressing these times of distress and difficulties, and he does here in Psalm 4 as he begins to 
to explain this this distressing experience and he turns it into a song and i think that exemplifies how we are to respond in such times in other words when i read david's psalms and he is so articulate in expressing uh, his heaviness of heart and his soul that aches and his you know difficulty he's going through and you can read it and say i feel that way i i'm experiencing that but then how he turns it into a song and into a focus of the Lord and just uh, being able to be comforted by the Lord. And I want to be able to be more like that. In other words, when I am going through my own difficulties and trials, to be able to stop and be able to get my eyes and get my heart and my mind on the Lord and then to be comforted in that way and to be able to develop a song in my heart because I'm beginning to put my trust in the Lord and, and I'm looking to Him. So that's what David does so wonderfully as we go through these psalms. So here as we read a psalm of David in verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So hear me is what David begins this psalm. And, and when he writes that, it's like David is saying, Lord, answer my cry. Hear me in my distressing time um, that I feel. Lord, answer me. Answer me now is what he's saying. And that's the way we can feel that in those times that are difficult, we say, Lord, hear me. Lord, answer me. Lord, uh, be my help right now. Um, hear my cry to you. And that's what he's doing when he says, hear me. And he speaks about the distress he's going to that he is in. But he also, here's the interesting thing in verse 1, he says, you have relieved me in my distress. In other words, he talks about God's past faithfulness. And, and David certainly saw and experienced the faithfulness of God over and over again in his life. In 1 Samuel, when he was running from Saul, who was pursuing and, and him and trying to kill him there in the wilderness, and also as well as in 2 Samuel, when he was the king and he went through difficulty, sometimes at the hands uh, of his own family, uh, sometimes as a result of uh, his own sin. But David saw the faithfulness of God. And it's important for you and I that as we journey through life and in our walk with the Lord, that we remember the faithfulness of God. We remember that the Lord has been faithful to us and working on our behalf. His word is proven to us, and he works in our situation. And that's one of the things that we see very clearly when we read the Old Testament, that when particularly you get to that section of the prophets, that when God is calling his people back to you know, worship him. They had strayed away and they were experiencing difficulties and God was chastening his people. But it was the Lord that said, remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember how I gave you the land. Remember how I blessed you. Remember my past works. And we need to always remember the works of the Lord, his faithfulness. He's has worked on our behalf just as we were reminded last Sunday that Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. The tomb is empty, right? And so that marvelous work of of God through Jesus Christ in, uh, you know, providing forgiveness of sin and salvation. And we're going to talk about on Sunday now that he's, he tells Mary, don't cling to me because I'm going to send to my Father. In other words, Mary, this is why I came. I came so that you can have relationship with the Father through what I have done. My atoning work on the cross, my resurrection, and now you have relationship with Him. And you have reconciliation with the Father that comes only through Jesus Christ. And then we have have the ministry of reconciliation that is we get to tell others about the gospel that they too can have relationship with God through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us so remember the work of God you know in salvation and forgiveness but also his faithfulness in working in your life you have relieved me in my distress now it's interesting that word distress here means to be backed up in a corner in a tight place. I think the ultimate example, when I say that, you're probably thinking, well, of course, the children of Israel there in the book of Exodus, when they were, what, backed up against the Red Sea and two, two mountain ranges on either side and the Egyptians about ready to come barreling down on top of them. And they would cry out to Moses, Moses, you know, save us. And, and, and they knew they were in big trouble. And Moses, what did he say to them? That be still and see the salvation of the Lord. 
In other words, you need to get your eyes off of the Egyptians as they saw the Egyptians and there was a great cry, the text tells us there in the book of Exodus. But you need to see the salvation of the Lord. You are backed up against the Red Sea and, and God's going to work. And of course, he opened up the sea and they would cross on dry land. And then the Lord, when the Egyptians were crossing in their chariots, would recede the waters and he would destroy the Egyptian army. And we can look back in the times in our lives where we were in a tight place, where we were, our backs were up against the wall, and the Lord made a, a way of escape. And he desires to work that way in our lives. So the circumstances that David is writing here, um, we're not really sure. Some scholars have suggested it's probably the same as in Psalm 3. Now, last time in Psalm 3, of course, David wrote that psalm in the title when he was running from his son Absalom. Absalom, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, stole the hearts of the men of Israel, and he would usurp the throne from his father, and David had to leave Jerusalem. And it was a very difficult time. It was a very painful time for David. So David here, recalling God's past faithfulness, you relieved me in my distress, um, and I know that you're going to relieve me once again as he meditates on the Lord. In verse 2, how long, you, uh, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood, shalah? So we see here that David is talking to men. He's rebuking his enemy. Um, I think that perhaps this may have been written at that time that David was uh, leaving Jerusalem when he was fleeing from his son Absalom because he uses that term there, son of men, uh, as he, in verse 2, how long you sons of men, that's a reference to the leadership of the men of Israel. They all turned to Absalom. Uh, all the tribes turned towards Absalom, and David was just with some of his mighty men as, and some of those who were with him in the palace as they fled Jerusalem. So here is he's talking to men, rebuking his enemies. Uh, he goes on in verse 3, I belong to the Lord, and he will be my help, and he's going to hear my cry. And then uh, as he gave that pause there in verse 2, um, he then says in verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Now here's the thing, that pause, shalah, uh, that's what it means. It's a pause. It's a stop. And David here is writing this psalm, and he's, he's writing about these sons of men that have come against him, and how long are you guys going to continue in those things that are worthless and seek falsehood? And, and he stops, and then he gets his mind on the Lord. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly, and the Lord will hear when I call to him. And that's an important principle here that we need to remember, and particularly when we have those who come against us or when we're in difficult times, we need to stop. We get so focused on the circumstances or on people, we need to stop and then get our attention and our focus on the Lord. And that's what David does. And I, that's what I love about the Psalms here. It reminds us over and over and over again as we go through these Psalms that, yes, we go through the difficulties of life and difficult circumstances and people that come against us just as David did but here's the thing we got to get our minds and our focus and our priority on the Lord and David does that as he pauses here and he puts his trust in the Lord here and then in verse 4 he says be angry and do not sin meditate within your heart on your bed and be still shalah there's that pause be still and then he pauses, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So here, as he says, be angry, do not sin. Now, you might think, well, that sounds familiar. And it is Paul the Apostle, of course, that in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 26, that he would write, be angry and do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And one of the things that I do, particularly when I do marriage counseling or pre-marriage you know, counseling, that I will go over that verse with the couple that I am talking with because um, here we see that be angry but do not sin. 
And Paul follows up on that as he's writing to the Ephesian believers there. He's writing them about putting on Christ and, and putting off the, the former lust and, and the worldly things. Put on Christ. And, and then he goes and he begins to give them some very important instructions. Don't let any corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. Don't be stealing any longer. Uh, and here in part of that section he says, you know, be angry and do not sin. Now there are times that we can get angry. There's a righteous anger that the Bible speaks about. Jesus had a righteous anger. Remember that man with the withered hand in the synagogue in Capernaum, and Jesus went in, as Mark's gospel tells us, and he was angry at the religious leaders because they didn't care about that man. They only cared about trying to trap Jesus. They didn't care about the people, and Jesus, knowing the hardness of their hearts, was angry at them. It was a righteous anger that he had. We know that when Jesus went into the temple and overturned the money changers' tables and drove out the, the animals of sacrifices and rebuked the religious leaders, it was a righteous anger. And we can have that when we have those come against us, particularly because we're a Christian. You know, or, you know, we see things that aren't right and injustice and all of this. But here's the key. Be angry and do not sin. And then Paul, he would take that and say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. And the reason that I explain that verse and go over that verse with couples is this, is because there are times where you will be angry. There are times where you might get angry at your spouse or a situation that comes in, but the Bible says do not sin and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so married couples, listen, this is very important that as you have situations that come into your lives that cause you to be upset or angry at your spouse, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, you need to stop, you need to pray about it. Now, you may need to work that situation out over the next days or weeks, but you need to be looking to the Lord and trusting in the Lord, and you need to be talking and communicating. But don't let that sun go down on your wrath. In other words, you don't go to bed angry where you, husband, are downstairs on the couch and, you know, your wife's upstairs. You need to come together and talk and pray. And it may be difficult, but don't give place to the devil because here's the thing. If your anger turns to wrath and to where you're not speaking or talking to each other, then you're going to give place to the devil and he's going to take it and he's going to try to blow the doors wide open on it. And he's going to do everything he can to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. And that's why it's very important. Again, you may have a situation or an issue that you need to talk about it and pray through and seek the Lord on, and that might take some time. But you go to bed where you've done that, and there's understanding, and there's patience and long-suffering and kindness that's being extended to your spouse. But don't allow the enemy to come in and turn it into wrath to where there's a separation. I've known couples that have been in the same house for a couple weeks and they don't talk. They'll text to each other. That's how they communicate. And we can chuckle, but it's true. And it's happening more and more and more. So David here, in this situation here, he says, be angry, do not sin. And Paul takes it and he begins to expand. Don't let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth because what happens when we're angry? I'm going to get my dig in. I'm going to say something that is going to upset you. I'm going to get very angry and say words that are corrupt words. But what we need to speak that which is necessary for edification. So here, David, as he's talking about be angry, don't sin. And I think he gives us four very important instructions which are useful so that we don't sin. And you might want to highlight these or write them down because the book of Psalms is not only a book of worship but it's a book of wisdom as well so what do you do when you know there's anger that comes you feel like you know i'm upset and how is it that i don't sin number one as we see here that meditate within your heart on your bed don't let the sun go down on your wrath you don't go to bed where you have wrath where you're laying there and i'll tell you what this happens or you're laying there thinking, or somebody's upset you at work, or uh, another family member, or whoever it might be, and you're laying there in bed going, how can I get that dirty rat? How can I get at them? How can I really, you know, pay them back? 
How can I come up with a plan? You don't do that. But what you do, meditate within your heart on your bed. In other words, you are meditating as you fill your heart and your mind with God's word and God's promises. And if you fill your mind with worldly wisdom, with revenge, how can I get to them? How can I get at them? You will end up sinning. So meditate within your heart the things of God and the word of God. Second of all, be still. Be still. Of course, the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. And know that as we give those things to the Lord, that we're honoring the Lord and the Lord desires the work in your life. And he's going to be your protector. He's going to give you guidance. He's going to give you wisdom. So there are times where we need to be still. And that's what David does. Be still. And then that pause again. Thirdly, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. This is important. You do what is right before the Lord. You do not let other people determine how it is that you're going to react. Well, it's that boss you gave me. He just makes me so angry. Or my spouse does this. You know, they know that that makes me mad. Or, you know, family members or friends or circumstances. Just, just, you know, blame it on that. You make sure that you're letting God determine how it is that you react to a situation that's bringing problems or challenges to you or upset you. Do we understand that? You can't let other people determine how it is that you react. You let God determine how it is that you react. And you offer the sacrifices of righteousness. You do what is right. You do what is right. And that can be hard. Because we at times want to be vengeful. We at times want to take it and do our own thing. And get back at people. To get even with people. To teach them a lesson. But we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, how is it that I am to react? And you see, David's going to talk about this as we continue on, about how he was important to him that he would walk in that godly integrity when he had people coming against him. He talks about how he did that. Listen, this is very important. And there may be those, and David's going to speak about this as we go on, how his enemies came against him, would speak, you know, things that were false, you know, concerning him. And there may be those that upset you, and when they do persecute you and come against you, and you may be thinking, you know what, they're, they're coming against me, and, and they're going to try to ruin my reputation at work or within the family. Others may try to ruin your reputation, but listen, only you can ruin your character. Will you remember that? Others may try to ruin your reputation, but only you can ruin your character. And Lord, I want to react in a godly way, with godly you know, integrity and character. I want to offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And then number four, you put your trust in the Lord. You know, Absalom, if this was being written at the time that he was pursuing his father and usurping the throne from him, he was trusting in his popularity. He stole the hearts of the nation, you know, uh, towards him. He, he was deceptive. The men who had turned to him and were giving counsel to him, that's who Absalom put his trust in. And David says, I put my trust in you, Lord. So four things, when we get upset, when we get angry, that will keep us from sinning. And then in verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, li lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so who will show us any good? Perhaps David's men were saying, oh, that we might see some good. And then David speaks of the good that comes from the Lord. He says that, that God's light and countenance and gladness will be in our hearts. And to have peace and rest and safety is what he's speaking about. It is more precious, more valuable, more important than any of the earthly possessions. That is grain and wine, more than the season of their grain and wine that they increase. Oh, they may have that, but we have something, guys. We have something that is more important. We have the light and countenance and gladness of God in our hearts, and that's a priority. 
So David in this psalm crying out in a time of distress. And then in Psalm 5, a prayer for guidance as we see to the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation in verse 1. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. For those of us who are a little bit older, I was asking Travis if he knew this song. When um, contemporary uh, worship first started, one of the earliest songs that came out, and I remember one of the first songs that I learned many years ago when I was a Christian, was written from Psalm 5. And of course, with the book of Psalms being a, a book of worship, many of the old hymns and some of the uh, you know, contemporary songs have, um, you know, songs that are written from the Psalms. And, and one of them is from verses 1 through 3 that I remember, you know, one of the first songs I ever learned was this psalm. Give ear to my word. Some of us that are older, you remember that? Yeah. So, see, you come to church and I'll sing to you uh, something a little special tonight. But I was asking Travis if he knew it, and, and Travis is young, so he didn't know it. But a very, <laughs> very special song. Um, that I remember when I was young as a Christian, written from Psalm 5, and, and uh, Psalm 5 here, as David is writing this, this is a uh, morning psalm, and a morning prayer of crying out to God, praying, Lord, hear me, give ear to my words, please listen to me. Again, David says that oftentimes uh, in his uh, psalms, and as we go through the psalms of David, we see also that morning was a very special and a very important time for David to cry out to the Lord. To give God his meditation. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Isn't that marvelous? David says, I'll, I'll look to you. Your voice I'll hear me. And as that very special time in the morning, you know, we see what David is very evident in these Psalms that it should be a very important time for you and me as well. And you see, first thing in the morning, whenever that might mean for you, because I know some of us might work at night or whatever, but when you begin your day to lift your voice to the Lord, to be given your song to the Lord and your meditation to Him. But also here, the word direct in verse 3 means order. It's, it's a military term. David was a warrior. He was a soldier. And so to you, you know, as he says and writes here, I will direct it to you. In other words, that he's like a soldier who reports to his commander in the morning to receive orders. And that's what you and I are to do. Lord, as I give my praise to you and give you my supplications, as I have fellowship with you, Lord, I desire to hear from you to get my orders. Maybe there's something the Lord wants you to do. Lord, help me to be sensitive to your leading today. I want my marching orders for today. And it's a life-changing thing. Listen, when Christians really get into the consistency of having devotion, and I know I say this oftentimes, but I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of these things. You know, for me, it is not tedious to say the same things to you. That's what Paul would write to the Christians. And that's what Peter would say to them as well, to get you established and the basic truths, I'll repeat them again. But it's a life-changing thing. If you want to have a very dynamic and very wonderful Christian life, exciting Christian life, it begins by in the beginning of your day that you are constantly, consistently, and daily that you're having devotions to the Lord. You're giving your praise to Him, that you're praying to Him, your supplications with thanksgiving, and that you're just given that, you know, desiring to get that direction from the Lord, like a soldier that reports to our commander, Jesus Christ. I want to be sensitive to your leading and then be sensitive during the day. You know, one of the things about when we have our devotions in the morning, it isn't like we just turn the Lord off and then we're on our way. Be sensitive to the leading of the Lord all day long. We can be in an attitude of prayer anytime during the day at the break and when, you know, we're at the stoplight, you might think of somebody, pray for them. Or maybe the Lord might say, hey, on the way home, why don't you, um, you know, stop by and see how this person is doing. 
or maybe when you get home, you, you need to call this person or send them an email. Just, you know, get in touch with them. And that's what makes the Christian life so dynamic and effective and a tremendous blessing when we're just sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And David was always wanting that, to be just led by the Lord in everything. But in verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, uh, nor sh shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So here, God has no pleasure in wickedness. Remember that John wrote in his epistle that, that God is light, not that God is a light, but God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And God has no pleasure in wickedness, and he will deal with um, the wicked in verse 7. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. And so David's desire and priority was not only to uh, get guidance from the Lord, uh, but it was to really spend time with the Lord, be in fellowship with the Lord. Do you realize the most important thing in our Christian life is just growing in our love with the Lord, just growing and knowing Him, our fellowship with Him? That's what He wants from us. It's more important than serving the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that serving the Lord is not important, but it was the book, uh, as I mentioned on Sunday in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, that Jesus wrote to them. They were a working church. Hey, you stand on truth, you persevere, you uh, work, you labor. He said that, uh, uh, that they were known for their labor a couple times, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. The most important thing in our Christian life is knowing Him and loving Him and spending time with Him. So make sure that you're doing that consistently and daily with the Lord. And that's what David, he says, that I want to spend time in you know, your house uh, to worship towards your holy temple. And then in verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. So the enemies of David were waiting for him to fail. So he asked God to direct, to keep him on the right path. And that's what you and I are to do. Again, offer those sacrifices of righteousness to the Lord. Lord, I want to be on the right path. I don't want to go my own path. I don't want to go the path of the world when my enemies speak against me or come against me. I want to make sure that you're guiding me in your righteousness and you make straight my path, Lord, to be where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And verse 9, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, and let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. So when David focuses on his enemies, he gets upset, doesn't he? He gets upset. He begins to say, you know, there's no faithfulness. Their, their throat is like an open tomb, just speaking deadness and corruption. And they, you know, the flattery of their tongue, um, it's, it's, you know, he, he's upset. And we can do the same thing. But then when he focuses on the Lord, he shouts for joy and expresses his confidence in the Lord. You see, if we always just focus on people and on the difficult circumstances, we're going to be robbed of our joy. We're going to be robbed of our joy. And that's why we need to get it back on the Lord and put our confidence in Him and to trust in Him. And that's what David is doing. Notice in verse two, 10, I think it's uh, worth noting here, that he says, let them fall by their own counsels, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. Hey, let them fall in their own counsel. Those who rebel against God will fall in their own counsels. And we need to remember that. That's why we need to be taken on and applying God's counsel in our own lives. Those who take on the counsel of the wicked, you remember in Psalm chapter 1 that it talked about that? 
that, uh, you know, the ungodly like chaff that uh, the wind drives away. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. And so we need to make sure that we are on a path of godliness and that we are taking on God's counsel and not the counsel of the world, not the counsel of the ungodly, because they will come back and, and um, they, you know, let them fall by their own counsel. You know, Galatians, you know the verse that says, whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the Spirit of the Spirit, what? You'll reap everlasting life. So as you and I are walking in the Spirit, good things are going to happen. God's going to work on your behalf. If you sow seeds to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap what? Corruption. That principle, that truth is for everybody. No one's exempt from that. And anyone who sows seeds of the flesh, of the flesh are going to reap corruption. And that's in a sense what David is saying here. In their own counsel, they will you know, fall and there'll be a snare. And David talks more about that in some of the other Psalms. Well, we want to continue in Psalm 6, another Psalm of David, to the chief musician with string instruments on an eight-string harp, a song, Psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Now, we don't know when David wrote this psalm, but it's a time when David is in real distress. It seems like David here is being, first of all, attacked by his enemies, really causing him problems. Second of all, he feels like that maybe he's being chastened by the Lord because he expresses that in, in these beginning verses that we read. Oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? So we don't know exactly what situation this is, so David is being attacked by his enemies. David also is feeling sick. He's going to talk about uh, here, you know, uh, as he says in verse 2, we just read it, that, Lord, heal me. My bones are troubled. Is it because of the difficulties? You know how when you're really stressed, it, it begins to affect you physically, right? And you can just kind of ache. And he's troubled in his soul, um, and he's grieving as well. So did he go through some loss? Now, last week when I was on with Ed Taylor on Calvary Live, somebody called in and was asking about this psalm and asking, was there death, you know, in David's family that happened? We don't know because he's going to talk about great grief. And so we don't know the circumstance. Some scholars, a few have suggested that perhaps this was a time when David, remember he sinned with Bathsheba and he lost you know, um, when she got pregnant, she lost that, uh, and he lost that baby. So perhaps his enemies coming against him. Perhaps, you know, feeling the grief of that, Lord, are you chastening me? So we don't know for sure, but David really is in a time of deep distress here. He, he feels like, um, you know, because of his sin, he's under the rebuke and chastening of the Lord. Now, as he's praying here and he's expressing that his bones hurt lord heal me he needs healing is it healing of his soul what he's grieving yes he's probably praying for that or literally a physical healing we don't know for sure perhaps that's what he means as well but not all sickness and sorrow and sadness and distress and loss is a result of sin we need to remember that and we talked about that quite extensively as we went through the book of Job. Job went through all that. He was afflicted physically. He went through tremendous loss, but he was a man that was blameless, shunned evil, and, and uh, feared God. He, he walked uh, in godly integrity. So David going through this difficult time, becoming weak, um, he con continues here in verse 4, Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me from your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? It's like David is saying, Lord, don't let me die because I can't praise you or give you thanks or serve you from the grave. So the indication here is he is really sick here. He he's, um, needs healing and he's afraid that he's going to die. And then in verse 6, I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. And it grows old because of my enemies. 
we have looked at the morning psalm of David. And this is a night psalm of David. And he's completely broken at this time. He is weary. He is heavy of heart. He is grieving deeply. He's sobbing. He says here, as he says, I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been there where at the night times you just sob, maybe because of a loss, or somebody very dear to you and close to you, where you wept and you sobbed deep within your soul. You didn't even know it was there. And you know what David is feeling here. Whatever he's experiencing and going through. And as you go through that here, we can be encouraged because in verse 8, depart from me all you workers of iniquity. Again, those who are coming against him. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. And I want you to know that when you go through that time, maybe because of loss or maybe because you're being... Um, you know, in that time of difficulty and distress and people coming against you is so hard. Whatever the circumstance, know this, that the Lord will hear the voice of your weeping. And you may not be able to express words that are clear, but He knows your heart. He hears the voice of your weeping. And the Lord has heard my supplication. And the Lord will receive my prayer and He will hear your prayer. And he goes on and says, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So David going through this evening um, psalm and expressing his hope, he expresses some hope here at the end, doesn't he? Is he, you know, uh, the Lord has heard my prayer and all my enemies shall be ashamed. ashamed. You know, his enemies thought, look, David's done for. But God would deliver David. And God would fight for him. And the Lord is going to work on your behalf as well. In Psalm 7, a meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush of Benjamite. Now Cush sided with Saul when Saul was pursuing David and wanted to destroy David. And what Cush was doing and saying was causing great distress and difficulty to David. Saul, you remember, what tribe was he from? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. So this guy obviously is close to, to Saul and wanted to make David's life miserable. So David cries out to the Lord for deliverance. And some of you have had that experience when somebody has come along in your life, whoever it might be, and they have one determination to make your life miserable. And it's a very, very difficult difficult time when that happens so david is experiencing this by this guy uh, you know who cush a benjamite and and so david goes to the lord and he says oh lord my god in you i put my trust save me uh, from all those who persecute me and, and deliver me let's say tear me like a lion rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver so david once again putting his trust in the lord here and when we're attacked by somebody else and in here he says they're like a line that just wants to rip me to shreds tear me to pieces now we know that the enemy he desires to do that to us because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour but we may have others that want to do that as well and it's you know it's very difficult whether they are doing it with words or with actions it can be very hurtful and very very difficult and he's expressing that in verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. So he, he gives this plea of innocence. If there is iniquity in my hands, let my enemy pursue me. So David here is, is holding on to his integrity, isn't he? His desire is to be blameless in his motives and in his actions. And that's what you and I should do. It's hard to do when somebody's coming against us. David and 1 Samuel, you recall that it was Saul 
that through a spirit David trying to kill David, not once but try, twice, David had two times, twice that we read, that he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. And what did David say? He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. David was so concerned that he maintained his integrity. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. David could have pleaded, hey, self-defense. But he said, I'm not going to take Saul out. Lord, you anointed him as king. He has been rejected, but I'm going to let you take him off the throne. And when the time for me to take the throne, I'm going to trust in you. David would hang on to that integrity again, desiring to offer the sacrifices of righteousness is what he's doing. He's trusting that God's going to take care of him, and God would take care of him. And then there's a, there's a, a pause here in Psalm 7. And in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded, so the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity within me. So he's asking God to vindicate him and to establish him. And he believed that God was for him and for his cause. But notice here that as we read this, that David, uh, and he'll go on to say this, let's, let's read verse 9, O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God test the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart, and God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death, and he makes his arrows into fiery shaft. So here he, he's putting his trust in the Lord. He knows that God is his defense. He saves the upright, but he does something interesting here. He says, Lord, you are the one that you are going to examine me. You examine me and you judge me and how I'm acting. For the righteous God, verse 9, tests the hearts and minds. And I think, you know, when I have those situations where, again, I can get angry or I want to get back, I need to say, Lord, you test me, you try me. Am I acting in integrity? Are we willing to let the Lord do that? And we need to let the Lord do that. Do I have the right attitudes, the right actions towards this person that I'm so upset about or really has made my life very difficult? Cush here was very difficult to David, and he's saying that, Lord, you examine me. I know you're my defender. You're my protector. And we need to do that. Listen, here's something to always remember. That when we are trusting in the Lord, and you and I as Christians, because we can think, you know, I'm the only Christian at work and everybody comes against me. Or I'm the only Christian in my family and all my family comes against me. When God is your defense, you're not at a disadvantage. The world might look at you and others might look at you and think you're at a disadvantage. People might think, ooh, you don't have a chance. You're the only Christian in this place, in this family, in this neighborhood, at school, in your classroom. But here's the proper thinking that we need to have. When God is our defense, it's the others that are at a disadvantage. Will you always remember that? It's the others that are coming against you. They're the ones that are really at a disadvantage, not you. We have the advantage because we have the Lord who is our defense, who sees us, who hears our cries, who desires to work on our behalf. In verse 14, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into a ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. In other words, uh, the wicked will do wickedly. They dig a pit only to fall into it. His trouble will return upon their own heads and they'll reap what it is that they sow. Don't think that they're always getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. God sees and yes, we can experience difficulties because of it. But God will work. And we need to remember that God is a just God. And in verse 17, he gives, ends this psalm with praise according to his righteousness. says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So Father, as we end here tonight, 
Lord, we read these Psalms of David, and we can feel the same things and have the same kind of hearts or face the same kind of circumstances. And Lord, we know that you're our defense. We know that you hear us and you see us. And Lord, that we're not at a disadvantage. But Father, we can come and cry out to you and trust in you for everything. So Father, tonight, we do remember your faithfulness to us in sending your son who died on the cross for our sins. So I want to pray if there's by chance anybody that's here in this sanctuary or in this building or listening by live stream, maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That maybe that you need to come to the gospel and receive the gospel that says that you're a sinner, but Jesus came and died for you. He died for all of us. He died for your sins on Calvary's cross. And he was put into a grave, and as we saw on Sunday, the tomb is empty. He's alive. He has risen from the grave. He conquered sin and death. And now he desires to provide for you as you come in faith. You recognize you're a sinner. You turn to Jesus. He's your only salvation. There's no other sacrifice for sin. And you realize your need for the Savior of the world. And you surrender your life to him. He loves you. And you cry out to him. And the heart that does that and comes to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness, he hears. And you pray, Jesus, I come to you, a sinner. And I believe you died on Calvary's cross for me. You died for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe that you're alive. And Jesus, I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. My life is not its own. And I come in faith, believing in your work and your faithfulness to me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. And if anyone prayed that prayer, when we're done with service, I want you to come and talk with me. And I want to pray with you. Or if you're listening on live stream and you made a decision for Jesus, that call me this week. Call me. Tell me the decision that you made. But Lord, for all of us, that we would know that we have hope in you, especially in those times where we're feeling distressed, that we would put our trust in you, that we would offer sacrifices of righteousness and we wouldn't be robbed of our joy and gladness of heart. I pray that you bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?